Today's episode of The Big Picture is brought to you by Vudu. Vudu is a streaming service you can watch on all your favorite devices, stream over 6,000 titles for free, or choose from over 150,000 titles to rent or buy in up to 4K quality, from the latest Hollywood blockbusters to independent cinema. Head on over to voodoo.com backslash big picture to sign up and start watching today. That's vudu.com slash big picture. I'm Sean Fennessy, Editor-in-Chief of The Ringer, and this is The Big Picture, a conversation show about Disney classics. I'm joined by Amanda Dobbins. Amanda, hi. Sean, hello. And I'm joined by Juliette Lim. And Juliette, what's up? Hi. We're going to talk about Mary Poppins Returns, which is the sequel, I suppose, to a Disney classic. And the Disney classic stars Julie Andrews, stars Dick Van Dyke. This new version stars Emily Blunt, Lin-Manuel Miranda. It's directed by Rob Marshall. I will say at the very top, I'm not a Mary Poppins person. That doesn't mean I dislike Mary Poppins, but I think there is something about the, what you identify with as a fan of movies, especially Disney movies as a kid. Amanda, I think that you are a Mary Poppins person. Is that right? Yes. I mean, I think Mary Poppins like basically lives inside me, um, which is just because I watched that movie at such a young age. I believe the family legend goes that I was like three years old and I got the flu or something and watched it a hundred times. Um, and I rewatched it recently and I did really have that kind of primal reaction of it's it's like hazy memories. Things that you remember about your childhood is also kind of what I feel connected to Mary Poppins. So I have absolutely no rational perspective on this franchise or this movie. It's all emotions. There, th- This whole podcast is meant to be all emotions. Yeah. So that'll be a good thing. Juliet, I know for a fact that you are a, a hardcore Lin-Manuel Miranda person, but I don't know yes. if you have any relationship to Mary Poppins. As a child, I called it Mary Poppiners. And <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I love Julie Andrews. I love Mary Poppins. It's a delightful, fun movie. Um, I've always found Mary Poppins to be like two separate movies. I think the first half and the second half are like just so different. Um, yes. How so? And... The second half is like serious and is like the Dick Van Dyke show. And the first half is a lot more playful, almost like Julie Andrews being like the antagonist in her own movie. And is like so much more light and musical-esque, like what you associate with that time period. Um, And they almost like don't go together. And I I actually, I guess we'll get into how, how he felt about the new one. But I think that in some ways, like that's the biggest difference between the original and this now like sequel is... Um, that kind of like divide was not necessarily present for, for, and maybe you consider that good or bad in the second one. That's an interesting thing to bring up because I think one of the few criticisms that this movie has received in the early round of reviews is just that it's the same movie, you know, that they essentially have remade the original Mary Poppins, which is some, you're saying that's not the case. I being I not, don't agree with that at all. Being not a, not a, a Poppinsite? I don't know what the word is here for that, but being a Poppins are a Poppins head, a, a popper. Maybe being not a popper, um, <laughs> a popper. <laughs> uh, I, I actually couldn't tell. You know, I didn't go back and rewatch the original. Amanda, did it feel duplicative in any way? I, it is very clearly using the Mary Poppins blueprint. Yes, and the, it's um, musical act for musical act, beat for beat. They are really doing the same template. Of even the Meryl Streep character is a direct sequel to the original there's a cousin in the original and he like gets stuck on the ceiling because he's laughing and instead 
in this one, the ceiling turns upside down for Meryl Streep. Right. So they're both borrowing the rhythm of the movie and the like outline and also the themes. So it is really close. I would agree. I think Juliet makes a great point that the original is two movies, one about a nanny and one about the banking system. Yeah. And, <laughs> <laughs> and this is also a movie about a nanny and a banking system, but it does interweave those a bit more than the original. Juliet, what do you think about the kind of socialist construct of some of these movies? I love it. It's, I, I, it's fascinating, I, right? Yeah, I think what's one of my favorite parts of the original is um, the suffrage song and and the mom in number one. What's her name, Amanda? I can't remember. The original Mrs. Banks? Yeah. Oh, I, I think it's Winifred? I think you're right. Yeah. yeah I think you're right. Yeah. Um, I love that portion of the movie. It also, it so firmly ties it to a certain time period, which I think is really effective for young kids. And that's probably one of the reasons why it, it stuck with me. Um, but I think it's really fascinating and also rare in a Disney movie at, at this point to have like a political yeah. message um, along with it. But yeah, I, I think it's like actually effective and particularly since I guess the original Mary Poppins and this one is kind of like ahead of like the the new trend of integrating humans and animation, which I kind of like don't really even understand the new ways that that's done. <laughs> but have they changed the the way that they do it? No, but I and like like I'm confused about what the Lion King is going to be with like people and animals. And, oh, I see. And like and also with like Beauty and the Beast. Right. And so let's talk about one. that distinction. So I, you know, the most successful movies in the world right now are superhero movies. The second most successful movies in the world are Disney movies where they just remake movies they've already made with human beings and digital animation. Now that's not what this is. This is no. This is kind of different from the Beauty and the Beast, Cinderella, you know, the Lion King template. This is an actual sequel that basically uses the same visual format, the same kind of costumes. I mean, we'll talk hopefully a bit about Emily Blunt, but I mean, the performance she's giving is very much in sync with the previous performance that Julie Andrews gave, but it isn't exactly in that same formula. I think it's probably seeking the same sized audience, but I've always been a little bit confounded by the mega success of like the live action Beauty and the Beast. Like the original Beauty and the Beast is fantastic. So I don't quite get why those movies work. This isn't totally the same thing, though, right? No, because it is it it has both like the traditional Disney cartoon and then just normal people interacting in a in a human drama. I don't know how much CGI there is in this movie. It doesn't seem like a lot. Yeah, which is I think distinct from the live action movies. Can I say though, just going back to not understanding why things are totally popular, and I say this as someone who loved Mary Poppins, but. The original Mary Poppins is so weird. Yeah. It is so weird. And I, watching as an adult, didn't totally, as with a new perspective, it's like much weirder than I remembered. And that second half is really dark and is just like a critique of capitalism. And it's very funny to me that it became the giant runaway success that it is, especially in the 60s when it's quite political for a Disney film in the 60s. Definitely. And it does have that animation sequence in the middle, which I, I think is delightful, but also, again, I was three. Um, it's pretty. It's a pretty unusual movie that they haven't really replicated until now. I totally agree. I've been thinking, I've been reading up on the original a bit. You know, it's one of the most um, celebrated movies by the Oscars ever. It's, it's one of the only Disney movies that has been nominated for Best Picture. Uh, Julie Andrews won Best Actress. Obviously, Mary Poppins Returns, I think, aspires to the same kind of plaudits, but 
Mary Poppins Returns, much like the original Mary Poppins, is pretty weird. Like the character of Mary Poppins is really strange. And I, Juliet, I like how you said she's sort of the antagonist in her own story. Or Amanda, did you say that? That was Juliet. Juliet, yeah. I, I, I thought that that was very insightful because there is something kind of needling about the character of Mary Poppins. Like she is, you can see that she is a caretaker and she has good intentions, but like she's kind of rude and yes. um, dismissive of the children. And that that whole idea as the person that you're supposed to be in love with, as the titular character, is kind of strange, isn't it? Totally. But I think it. I think what's so magical about her, and I think Emily Blunt is just sensational, and I hope we can talk about charisma as a, as a force in movies. Please. I agree entirely. Um, I think that what's really amazing about both Julie Andrews and Emily Blunt's um, Mary Poppins is that they have both a very clear code of living that also allows for them to have be playful and like experience joy and be silly, but like it has its place. And I think that Amanda, I bet that's one of the reasons why it really speaks to you, knowing you as an adult. And perhaps as a child, this was always inside of you. It's true, I but think I, it's like, is it, it's chicken or egg? Did I learn that from Mary yeah. Poppins or did she speak to me? I honestly couldn't tell you. Um, I, I think that's a really unique character and also really hard to replicate. And I will say like, a lot of Disney movies are not true to their source material, at least the ones that like in my lifetime. And I don't, I didn't like study the original written material, but that's probably because of, of how the character was originally envisioned in the books and not because it was like created for Hollywood. I think that's true though. Juliet, when I, I went back and read about the original um, after seeing this movie. And one thing I learned is that uh, the author of the books, P.L. Travers, her, she was very upset about the movie because she thought that Mary Poppins was too cheerful, which I'm just kind of like, I don't, cheerful is not what I would use to describe Julie Andrews' performances. And I'm like, what is happening in these books to these children? And do we need to call child services? That part is really interesting. <laughs> There's an entire movie about this. It's called Saving Mr. Banks. Disney right. made it five years ago. Tom Hanks plays Walt Disney. This is also notably the last Disney movie that Walt Disney made before he died. And it is so different from so many Disney movies. Now, obviously, Disney has cheered up P.L. Travers' character a little bit, and 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 Mary Poppins is still a little needling, but there's just like a lot of depth and oddity to this that you don't find in a lot of those 50s and 40s and 30s Disney's movies. Today's episode, Amanda, is brought to you by Voodoo. Voodoo is a streaming service you can watch on all your favorite devices, including smart TVs, Roku, Chromecast, iPhone, Android phone, or web. Stream over 6,000 titles for free, including classic and nostalgic movies and TV shows. We love those. Or choose from over 150,000 titles to rent or buy in up to 4K quality. From the latest Hollywood blockbusters to independent cinema, free movies are refreshed monthly so it never gets old. Voodoo is not a subscription service, so there's no monthly fees. Watch free movies and TV or rent or buy only what you want. Most of your favorite films are available to rent or buy at Vudu, and you can now convert your DVDs or Blu-rays to digital, starting at just $2 at vudu.com backslash disc, D-I-S-C. Download them to your devices to watch anytime, anywhere, even without an internet connection. Amanda, I have been using Vudu recently. I just rented the movie Bad Reputation, which is a documentary about Joan Jett that I've been looking forward to. 
I didn't know how much I liked Joan Jett's songs, but in watching the movie, I was like, God damn, Joan Jett, she's got some bangers. Have you been watching anything on Voodoo? I'm going to use it this week. I'm traveling later in the week, and I still haven't seen A Quiet Place. I was too much of a wuss at the beginning, but I'm ready. Everyone loves it. I'm emotionally prepared, and I'm excited to watch it while I'm traveling. And then I think I'm also going to get Home Alone because it's a Christmas movie, no matter what Bill Simmons says. You know I agree. So now head on over to voodoo.com backslash big picture to sign up and start watching today. That's vudu.com slash B-I-G-P-I-C-T-U-R-E, big picture. Let's pivot a little bit more clearly to the, the, the movie we're talking about right now, Returns. I want to know what you guys think about the music in this movie because the original's music is iconic and and they're the songs in that movie are true earworms when we walked into the studio amanda was singing supercalifragilistic at the top of her lungs even though the sound of it is something quite atrocious okay that'll be the feed last the, feed of the, the birds is an all-time <laughs> banger i mean it's just a beautiful important song if you say it loud enough you'll always sound precocious <laughs> we've we've totally reached our limit on on songing <laughs> in this episode but what did you guys make of the the uh songs in this new one juliet I was disappointed. Yeah. I don't think there's like a breakout earworm. I think I was just like, why didn't they let Lin Manuel Miranda write a song? May like, I, I just, say something? I did not yeah. know that he didn't write the songs until the opening credits for this movie came yeah. up, and I was like, what? Yeah, I think yeah. they probably collaborated on his like spoke his like quasi rap when they're in the animated world that yes. he does. O'Leary loves the edge of night, though dim to him the world looks bright. He's got the gift of second sight. O'Leary's jobs to light the way. Um, and that was probably tailored to his strengths, or what some consider his strengths, and some consider to be an abomination of rap music. But no I was really, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, that's. I, I think there's. I mean, there's so much to say about him because of the run he's on for the last, you know, three and a half years. But I was really disappointed. There's no like breakout song that I remember, and I. I think to me, the most memorable thing from all the music was just all the allusions to Let's Go Fly a Kite. And I was like, can't they just sing that song instead? Like, was it too expensive? Like, why are they not singing it? I don't know. I I, I presume they own the rights to that song. I mean, let's just talk about a couple of the big songs. For when its light has hit the ground, there's lots of treasures to be found underneath the lovely London sky. Obviously, underneath the lovely London sky is the opening number that's the the way we're introduced to the movie and Lin Manuel Miranda's character, which is more or less just Dick Van Dyke's character, yes. repeated, yeah, um, and who sings a similar song to open Mary Poppins. Right. It really is a one for one, but his this is a bit cheerier, you know, and schmaltzier than the Dick Van Dyke song. It is. I think Dick Van Dyke is just like criminally underrated in the American imagination. I fucking love Dick Van Dyke. Me I too. like the Dick Van Dyke show. I like I, what was his detective show again, Columbo or something? No, I can't remember it, the name, it was um. Diagnosis Murder. Right, uh, Diagnosis In which murder. he's a doctor who solves crimes. It's a great premise for a show. I agree. Dick Van Dyke is amazing. Um, he's amazing. And like, and, and I think I love and like cherish and live by the, the work and the words of Lin-Manuel Miranda. But being a performer is not his greatest strength. Mm-hmm. And I think that Dick Van Dyke, and, and you know, he played so many characters in the original one, is such a better performer that, that I thought was a tough note to start on because it, it immediately reminded me that this is not Dick Van Dyke. Do you guys know off the top of your head how old Dick Van Dyke is? Like 92? He, he is 93 years old. 
I think people are well aware that he's in this movie and performs in this movie and dances in this movie at 93 years old. Um, I still am curious if that's the only CGI that they used when he dances on top of the desk. I thought it was him because it is a slower... He's not doing it the way he did in the original movie, but he kind of still has the moves enough that you're reminded of it. I got very emotional at that part. That was one of many times when I teared up. Yeah. Yeah. I I would say, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but the sort of last moments of the movie, Dick Van Dyke and then later Angela Lansbury, were the two times where I was like, I kind of wish this was the movie. Mm -hmm. And not just that I wish it were older actors or something like that, but there was something in the feeling of those older performers that felt absent. And... I am a sincerely a very big Emily Blunt fan, and I think we should talk about her next. And I, I like Lynn Manuel Miranda, and I, I loved Hamilton, and I, I agree with you, Juliet. I think he's an incredibly important person in the culture, even if performing is maybe not the most important thing that he does. But Blunt is here. This is a big deal. She's like a big time movie star now. She's probably going to be nominated for an Oscar for this movie. She's singing. She's dancing. She's Julie Andrewsing. Um, Amanda, did she live up to your expectations? Absolutely. I th- She actually exceeded them because I was like, I think I also belong to the Church of Julie Andrews. And I was like, this is insanity to try to take on a Julie Andrews role. You're just setting yourself up for failure. And I thought, uh, to echo Juliet, she was sensational. I was really, she is clearly paying tribute to the Andrews performance, but she's also adding a little of her own charisma, as Juliet said, and a slyness. And... It's very winning. And, you know, there was, again, I, I'm sorry to be like the overgrown three-year-old here, but there was kind of a 30-minute um, a window in there, which is the cartoon segment into the lullaby scene, which is a direct copy of the original. And she's singing the lullaby to the kids, and she does not have Julie Andrews's voice, and she has not pretended to, so I don't think she would be insulted. But there is something about her embodiment of the character that was, like, very overwhelming to me, and I just started crying because it felt like— it felt like Mary Poppins came back to me as an adult. Mm. It's, it was literally, like, the the premise of this movie where Mary Poppins comes back to Michael and Jane as adults was actually happening to me in real time, and— that was extraordinary. That was like a—I've never felt like that. And it was—I think that really is just because of her performance. She just really hit the tone. And also, I'm a sentimental schmuck, I guess. <laughs> Juliet, did you, do you agree with that? Yeah. Um, I, th- I thought she was just really amazing. Like, in some ways, I, I think that, like, any f- any flaws with the movies or fa- faults with faults within the movie is covered by her charisma and her charm and just the fact that she is so magnetic on stage— and she just is like so much fun to to watch and like be in the scene with. And she just makes up for a lot of the movie shortcomings. I agree. Her songs are interesting. Nothing's really left or lost without a trace. Nothing's gone forever, only out of place. You know, I think you pointed out that she doesn't quite have Julie Andrews' voice, which is okay. I don't I don't think that that's like a huge demerit. It doesn't hold the movie back. But I found that with the exception of the Royal Dalton Music Hall, which I thought was kind of a fun mid-sequence, that animated sequence that we're talking about that kind of bifurcates the movie. Um, I, you know, can you imagine that? And a cover is not the book. And a couple of these songs, I just, are just not memorable and long. The sequences take yes. a long time and it almost like slows the movie down. And... In a movie like this, it should be the opposite. You know, you should be building towards this crescendo of the musical performance. Juliet, you're a huge fan of musicals. But why do you think that it, there was something kind of like not quite the gears were getting stuck somehow? 
I think part of it is being true to the original movie probably made them, got, there was like a certain um, rhythm, for lack of a better term, that they had to stick to that I think made it a little bit more difficult. And like when, and when you're trying to go like one for one in terms of like tenor and um, like how it interacts with the story, it's a little bit of a, um, it, it just sort of boxes you in a little bit, which is one of the reasons why that should have let Lynn write the music because he's so good at that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's almost like he's a puzzle master when it comes to writing music. Like a few years ago before um, Hamilton, it was, I think the year after in the Heights had its big run. So it was like 2008 or 2009. Neil Patrick Harris was hosting the Tonys. And um, at the very end, Lynn had been backstage the whole time and he his like job was to write like one of his like musical raps to sum up the night and then to perform it at the very end. And he did it and it was awesome. And so he's really, really talented at like working within constraints of songwriting and lyric writing. And so it just seemed like such a shame to not use him. Um, also, I think Mark, Sh- Mark Shaman is the one who wrote a lot of the music and he, this is very much in his style actually. Like I think that these songs that are sort of like so obviously musical songs, but that, but that that also speaks to the fact they're like fairly derivative and not necessarily so memorable. Yeah, and I mean, Mark Shaman is an extremely experienced composer who's written for literally dozens of movies and television shows and has worked on Broadway and, um, you know, is very talented, but there's something kind of pro forma about a little bit of this, except for, I think, you know, you alluded to Triple Little Light Fantastic before, which is kind of Lin-Manuel Miranda's big showpiece around the fountain with all of the other what is his what is his job is he like a lantern snuffer yes okay he's a, no he's the opposite he lights lamps oh he's a oh, lantern right. lighter okay um, O'Leary O'Leary is that what they're called are they not responsible for putting the lamps out also uh, I don't know I don't really know the job parameters that's sort of Me the neither. glass half full glass half empty question of the Mary Poppins universe mm-hmm. do you do you light the lamps or do you snuff them out um <laughs> I did like Triple Little Light Fantastic. I thought that was like kind of a fun song, but it did just kind of feel like a Hamilton song. Not nearly as good. Come on, man. I just said it felt a little like a Hamilton (laughs) song. Um, I really liked when they performed together um, in the the bowl. I don't even. Oh, in the cartoon sequence. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Covered Sides book. Yes, that's the, a cover is not the book. Yeah. Yeah, they were going for it and it was like, they were dancing and doing the, it was like a show, a really big show. More so than any of the originals, I guess, except for, um, the chimney sweeps. My yeah. thing about the songs was that this felt like the most modern Disney-fied part of the movie. They all had like a moral for kids, you know? Like yeah. imagine it, imagination's important and you know, don't judge people and be friends. And the originals do too, but they are slightly more nuanced or just stranger. Mm-hmm. And this felt like the music is when I knew this was a movie for kids. And that's kind of it's the most that's the most targeted at it like six-year-olds. Yeah, I thought, I honestly thought of you, Amanda, and Juliet, less so you, but just in terms of the ongoing conversation about like what is a kid's movie. Yeah. And obviously a lot of animated movies aspire to a kind of Mm -hmm. intellectual height that, you know, sometimes they reach them and sometimes they don't. Obviously some Disney movies are like this. I think if you see Wreck-It Ralph 2, for example, there's just a lot of ideas about the thing that we do every day on the internet that are pretty serious. Um, this felt like what you're describing, which is like, this actually is for like nine-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And you can be 30 or 50 or 70 and enjoy it and appreciate it. But there are many, many times when it felt specifically designed to make little children happy. And that's a great thing. I, I have no criticism of that. It just was in stark contrast to the way that most kids' movies are now, which is larded with things to entertain adults. 
This, I felt like had a little bit less than that. And I feel it most acutely in kind of the supporting characters of the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually those supporting characters, I think, are meant to be like entertaining for adults. But like Colin Firth in this movie does not, didn't work. Like I didn't get it. He plays the villain. It was a shame. I I didn't, nothing against Colin Firth. I just don't under, like the motivation of that character is weird. It's confusing why I mean, he's the, in this movie. The motivation was for him to make money. It's like the problem is that they tried to do the critique of the banging system, but it's Disney, so it's toothless and it's not actually anti capitalism at all. Yeah. It just, but it, you, I just couldn't understand why, what, how could he have made more money based on what they, anyway, <laughs> why, why, why was he trying to trick the main characters in the movie as opposed to just being like, I'm an evil banker? Yeah. I, I have no idea. Okay. Um, I think part of that, John, yeah. to get back to the political point, I think the American imagination relationship to banking has, in the last 10 to 15 years, and probably the people who are partially behind this movie, has drastically changed. Yes. I mean, that gets back to the socio-political point about the first one versus this one, is that, like, I, you know, this would be a, a whole tangent, like a whole other podcast, but, like, to talk about banking and bankers and, like, and who owns homes and, like, foreclosures is actually really loaded now. So It is. It's actually um, the first movie didn't shy away from that. And also by choosing to make it a depression era or, you know, uh, like a like a suffrage post or I guess it's like right before the crash. Right. Yeah. At least in America. It's a different like that's a different point of view, like a different perspective. And that's one that I think to me was really lacking in this movie is that kind of like don't go for it quite as much. And they're also softer on the. Uh, Emily Mortimer is clearly supposed to be the mom figure, um, yeah. and she is doing kind of social justice and uh, community organizing instead of uh, women's suffrage. But she doesn't have like the big song to rally every. There's not any energy to what she's doing. Yeah. It's like a very dutiful. Okay, yes, like workers are important. Um, yeah, I, I I feel like we're in the time of. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and like the big short, you know, yes. like America yeah. knows what this stuff is. Yes. Like we, I don't think that this is necessarily like the perfect place for it. I'm not necessarily advocating for that. But because of the legacy of the original movie, you'd think that this would have a little bit more follow through on some of those ideas. And, you know, when you're building an evil character in a movie, that's that is such a huge part of writing a script and getting people to care about the story. So if you fail at that level, even if you have an actor as good as Colin Firth, it really does hurt the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Agreed. What did you guys think of um, the Meryl Streep moment? It felt like a different movie as well. Yeah. yeah. Or like, sort of took, took me out of the moment a little bit, but I also was like excited to see her. And, you know, for the Rob Marshall heads out there, there's a lot of uh, synergy with um, Into the Woods. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like, in some ways, I respect that Meryl has now just built a late stage career of just showing up in movies and singing whenever she feels like it for however long she feels like it. And then she's out. And good for her. May we all. Uh, find something that we love and the ability to do it on our own terms. That to me felt when it was like the most rote uh, copying of the original. And I agree that it felt like a different movie. And I don't, I was supposed to learn perspective from that. Is that what I was supposed to take away as a child? That you, you know, you look at things a different way and then you can do whatever you want to do in life. I don't really think the messaging was super clear there. Yeah, I would agree. I, I I didn't understand it. It's funny, when I headed into a screening, I was under the impression that there was sort of a chance that Meryl Streep would be up for an Oscar nomination for a performance in this movie. And then I saw the movie and I was like, well, we can forget about that. <laughs> Not because she's bad, but just because it's a frivolous thing. It's totally wedged into the middle of the movie. As you say, it's making an, eff- an attempt to replicate 
uh, a moment in the in the previous film. Um, I, I just didn't I didn't really get that. I did like um, Angela Lansbury quite a bit. Maybe Why that's, was she in this movie? I, well, I don't know. I assumed that they wrote that for Julie Andrews and she declined to do it. Oh. Don't you think? Because it's at the very end and it's yeah. like, oh, Mary Poppins was with us the whole time. Great take. Yeah. And I think that Julie Andrews made the right call to not do it. That would have been very sticky. And also, you know what? Julie Andrews doesn't Too small need... for her. Yeah, no. She's, she's the original Mary Poppins and that's it. Uh, I have some bad news for you guys. There is a movie uh, coming I, out I called Aquaman. And well, Julie it, Andrews... Right? provides voice work in the movie Aquaman. So she's not better than this. <laughs> and I, she, the, the voice work that she's doing is of a gigantic sea creature. It's not that she's better than this. It's just that... She probably got paid more. She probably got paid That's more. That's definitely possible. You know, I actually do think that this movie does a decent job of respecting the original Mary Poppins and also Julie Andrews as the original Mary Poppins. And to kind of put her in as a cutesy old person cameo at the end undermines that. Mm -hmm. So I think it's not... But did it undermine... Did Dick Van Dyke undermine it? No, but he's not Mary Poppins. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though he really carries the original movie as much as she does and like is possibly on screen for longer than she is in Mm -hmm. the original... There's something about this particular character um, and its place in people like Maya's imagination and also its relationship to Julie Andrews. Like, Julie Andrews, I hope you stay with us forever. But when you are no longer with us, like Mary Poppins will be in the first sentence of her obituary. It's different when something is so closely associated with you and launched your career than Dick Van Dyke is just kind of like, oh, it's nice to see you guys again. So I'm okay with it. And I was glad to see Angela Lansbury as well. That's nice. I guess the connection would be like bed knobs and broomsticks. And if you're a fan of 60s Disney movies, somehow she represents a connection to a previous era. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you guys have a relationship to those other Disney movies or does Mary Poppins kind of stand alone? I don't really. I know I've seen them, but for me, it's Mary Poppins. And then I graduated to Sound of Music. So I, it's really just Julie Andrews' core. Have you still never seen The Sound of I've Music? I've never seen The Sound of Music. I I, I can't believe Also very political. That's yes. That's true. That's true. <laughs> How are you allowed to do this podcast? I don't understand. I don't know. <laughs> someone, <laughs> someone needs to explain that to me. Um, I'm still, you know, we're all just kind of working our way through the okay. canon every right. day. That's okay. just, that's have you guys what, seen Thoroughly Modern Millie? No. I have, yes. It's so offensive. It's hard. It's unbelievable that it, it's like was restaged within the last 20 years. I don't it's recall so... it being offensive, but that makes sense. Um, that's, oh, my God. That's kind of the problem with this entire enterprise, right? I certainly don't think Mary Poppins is offensive, but all of these things that we are working tirelessly to bring back into the lives of our children um, are not, we're not made for these times. And it's so interesting that Mary Poppins is this rare case of being an old movie that is more progressive than its modern day counterpart. I, don't, I, don't, I totally don't know what to do with that. What else do you guys want to say about this? Any other observations about the movie? I want to say that I hate Ben Wishaw, and oh. I just don't think he should be an actor. <laughs> Whoa! Wow. That I, no warning! I just despise his work. Oh I my goodness. I just can't think of a single time I've enjoyed watching him on screen. <laughs> Lordy! Of any kind. So Ben Wishaw plays Michael Banks. He's more or less the third and, lead of the movie? And yes. he's so lame. He is such a value, such a value negative. Ugh, I cannot stand him. I can't say I agree with this take at all. Yeah, I was pretty <laughs> moved by it. When he's in the attic talking, singing about his dead wife, and he does the, he did a thing I really like, which is acknowledging that singing is not really his forte. And so he did like a talk sing throughout he did. the song. Sure. And I found that to be moving. It's also was again more in line with the original Mr. Banks, who 
talk sings through his satirical song. That's a thing that's missing from this movie. There's no satire mm-hmm. at all. And there is a fair amount. Even the suffragette song is making fun of a little bit of this very rich woman who is out there crusading, but also, you know, can barely make it to the meetings on time and is like her house is a mess. And there is, there's no satire. It's only sentiment in in this movie. And and part of that is Ben Wisha. He's really just playing to emotions only. I was moved by them. And I also like him in other movies. But I can see Julie, I can see Juliet's point in this movie only. I, I don't endorse despising him uh, across the board. <laughs> I'm sure he's a, I have no idea if he's a nice human or not. Have but, you um, seen Skyfall? Yeah. You didn't like him as... I can barely remember it. It's, okay. It's, it's an eyebrow singeing take. Okay. I hate Ben Wishaw. That's just some wild stuff. But that's okay. why we're doing this podcast. If you, you know, Ben Wishaw also was in just a better kids movie this year. And that movie is called Paddington, Paddington 2. Too. I mean, Paddington right. 2 is, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure if you're a listener of the Ringer Podcast Network, you've heard Andy extol its virtues many a time. Um, it's not a perfect movie by any means, but it Find has. Find a dad that didn't cry at Paddington 2. And I know. The Daddington it. Hive is very real. It, it, yes. But that is a that is a, an, a truly inventive movie in a way that I think Mary Poppins Returns is not. And Ben Wishaw brings an incredible lifelike quality to this <laughs> teddy mm-hmm. bear. Um, guys, what else? I think the sort of some of the shortcomings are, are also just very in line with Rob Marshall's work, which is like very competent and usually dutiful to like in the case of Chicago and into the and into the woods and then now Mary Poppins like they're they are faithful to the original work but they don't really have a a lot of like invention to them but that's like a safe director for a movie like this right can I throw in my take it's not as hot as Juliet's sure Sure. Um, there's a difference between a stage production and a movie musical there is there's a difference between the theater and movies and a lot of these felt like really stagey, jazz tan, like one frame set piece performances as opposed to kind of using the medium to move around a bit. And it felt a little stale to me. Rob Marshall, of course, uh, was a choreographer. And yes. dance is sort of his, yes. that's his metier. I, I don't think that dramatic filmmaking necessarily always is. If you're not familiar with him, he made Chicago. He made uh, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. He made Memoirs of a Geisha. You guys mentioned he made Into the Woods. I agree. He's a competent hand. He's not somebody who I feel like has a signature style. His craziest and most fascinating movie is called Nine, which is a musical adaptation of Federico Fellini's Eight and a Half. That is a a movie that doesn't work, but has like a lot of guts and it's kind of going for it a lot. I would not say that that's what Mary Poppins Returns is. It's it's much safer in, in its approach to the story. You know, out of curiosity, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about this more on the Oscar show going forward, but would you guys be surprised if this had like 13 Oscar nominations? I think technically there's like a lot to appreciate. Like mm-hmm. I thought it like looked good. I thought the animation was cool. Um, I thought that there was, I, I mean, Emily Blunt is just, is I thought was incredible. I think she deserves a lot of, a lot of awards. I mean, obviously I haven't seen as many movies as you guys, but I was just blown away. And I was like, I'd like to spend more time with Emily Blunt based on this. <laughs> so I don't know. That's like a pretty big endorsement. I think, I think it just seems like there's a lot of ways to appreciate this without a kind of like, circle what's good about it that would like lend itself to the Oscars 13 seems like a lot though I would I that was my thought as well 13 is too many I think technical categories sure um they're even there I feel like there have been a lot of other technical achievements this year yeah I mean you'll probably get costumes and yeah. maybe production design right. and song and yeah though I, I don't know that song really 
I, I think it probably will get nominated. I'm not sure if it's the most deserving. Mm-hmm. I would be thrilled if Emily Blunt got nominated. Um, I, I'm counting on that. Yeah, and I think it's it's actually it's deserving, even if this movie is kind of microwaved Mary Poppins. She's really transcendent, and as Juliet said, I think it really marks her as like that is someone who I want to see every performance from now. It's this is really her time, I guess. Our takeaways are obvious. If you really love Emily Blunt or Mary Poppins, you should definitely see this movie. If not, maybe don't. Uh, Amanda and Julia, thank you guys for doing this. Thank you. Sure.